0: Hello and welcome to The Latter Rain Ministries, where we're dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and His truth with the world. Do keep in mind that we have other resources and information available at our website at thelatterrain.org. If you wish to hear other English audio messages, they are available for free, either our website or as podcast or iTunes. Just look for us in the Apple iTunes store under Podcasts as The Latter Rain Ministries to subscribe. King Saul is unfortunately one of those people that are written of in the Bible to show us what happens when you live a life in disobedience. Nothing good comes from disobeying the Lord. When a person chooses to disobey God over and over, they can bring upon themselves judgment and destruction. God doesn't want that for us, but at the same time God can never forget that together with being love, He is also holy and righteous. He cannot be one without the other, and as such He will only surround Himself in eternity with those people that choose to also be like Him, loving but also take on through Jesus Christ His traits of holiness and righteousness, not only as a state of being, but also in practice. Loving God involves obeying Him. That's what we need to worry about. We stay with us for the next few minutes as we look into what God says about this. Let us go to the Lord in prayer together. Lord God, Heavenly Father, blessing and honor and glory be to you, O Lord God, for you are worthy to be praised and exalted. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, O Lord, that you please forgive my sins. Lord, I give you thanks for your mercy and your grace for your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, that you may please guide us through your word, through your Holy Spirit. Help us to have open minds, open hearts, Lord God. Help us to truly understand and to take in your word as it is. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Our scripture passage reading today is found in the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 1, verse 1 to 16. This is the word of the Lord. Now it came to pass after the death of Saul, when David had returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites. And David had stayed two days in Siglag. On the third day, behold, it happened that a man came from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dust on his head. So it was when he came to David that he fell to the ground and prostrated himself. And David said to him, Where have you come from? So he said to him, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. And David said to him, How did the matter go? Please tell me. And he answered, The people have fled from battle. Many of the people are fallen and dead, and Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead also. So David said to the young man who told him, How do you know that Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead? Then the young man who told him said, As I happened by chance to be on Mount Gilboa, there was Saul leaning on his spear, and indeed the chariots and horsemen followed hard after him. Now when he looked behind him, he saw me and called to me. And I answered, Here I am. And he said to me, Who are you? So I answered him, I am an Amalekite. And he said to me again, Please stand over me and kill me, for anguish has come upon me. But my life still remains in me. So I stood over him and killed him, because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the bracelet that was on his arm, and had brought them here to my Lord. Therefore David took hold of his own clothes and tore them, and so did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son, for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. Then David said to the young man who told them, Where are you from? And he answered, I am the son of an alien, an Amalekite. So David said to him, How was it you were not afraid to put forth your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Then David called one of the young men and said, Go near and execute him. And he struck him so that he died. So David said to him, Your blood is on your own head, for your own mouth is testified against you, saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. One of the major issues that causes great problems for people is the sin of disobedience. If there's anything that completely puts a person on the wrong path, is just not doing as they're told. This reminds me of elementary school or grade school when I was very young. I would hear my teachers talk about this all of the time, about how they would teach all of us to just follow directions. Unfortunately, even though following directions is probably the simplest of concepts, it eludes many people and for many reasons. This issue goes back to the fall of man when God had simply said to them that they should not eat of the forbidden fruit, because on the day they would eat of it, they would surely die. And we all know the story and how the devil instilled doubt and made the forbidden seem attractive and desirable, and how man disobeyed, and as a result, we have all of the issues we have today. When man fell in sin is when death and destruction entered the world and all because of disobedience. In today's passage, we read about King Saul. Saul, unfortunately, was a perfect example of disobedience. He was chosen to be the first king of Israel. There were great plans for his life, but he took the path of disobeying God to the point that God's mercy just ran out. And his disobedience not only cost him his life, but it affected others all around him, including the innocent like his son, Jonathan, It is important to bear in mind that disobedience can not only affect your own life negatively, but it can also affect those that surround you, your family, your friends, and so on. In the end, every single one of us will need to face death at one point or another. But the difference should be how we face death, as in what got us there and how we will stand before the Lord someday. Make no mistake, we will all give an account for our actions accountability is inevitable, even for the Christian. As part of this message, we will bring to the light the reality that every single person will give an account for their actions, and that's why it is so imperative to obey the Lord. But to get things going, we'll start looking at the couple of issues that Saul had. One of the incidents that Saul had with disobedience was when he overstepped his boundaries and the established order of things. Even though it may have seemed like a good and maybe even noble idea, he did something he was not supposed to. First Samuel chapter 13 tells us that Saul was waiting for Samuel to come back and perform the burnt offering before the Lord so they could face their enemies with God's support. Samuel took longer than anticipated, and so Saul just went ahead and did the burnt offering himself. This was a problem because even though Saul was king, this was not something that he should have gotten involved with doing directly. According to the Lord's commandment, this was supposed to be done by the priest, period. And in this particular event, he lost the opportunity of his kingdom being part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. Before David became king, Saul was supposed to have been through whom God raised Jesus Christ. So instead of being part of something eternally significant, he put himself in a position where God was going to remove him. And so something that seemed like a good idea cost Saul dearly. Another incident where we can read about Saul's disobedience can be found in 1 Samuel chapter 15, starting on verse 20, where it says, And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek, and I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, and the best of things which should have been utterly destroyed, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. And so Saul confirmed yet again through his disobedience that he would be removed from being king. We need to pay attention to this passage. A little more because we're given more insight as to why he disobeyed the Lord. Basically, God through Samuel had told Saul to get rid of every single thing that had to do with the Amalekites. No exceptions. One thought you may have is that why would God give such an order? And that is exactly where the temptation to disobey starts rearing its ugly head. There are many times that God may ask us, like yes Saul, to do things that we may not understand or even agree with at the moment. But we need to trust that God knows all things and that we simply need to just accept that he has his reasons and that we just need to obey no matter what we think. God knows what he is doing. So Saul starts blaming the people for what went wrong. He says that the people took of the plunder and he gave as a reason something that seemed good and right that the idea was to offer the plunder as a sacrifice to the Lord. And so We can see here very clearly that disobedience can be made to seem right. But at the end of the day, whatever is wrong before the Lord is wrong. No matter how you choose to paint it, no matter how much a person might try to sell God on the notion that it is right. This is what happens with sin very frequently. In one way or another, many people always seem to find some sort of justification for the wrong they do. I stole because I was hungry. I killed because I needed to. I slept with someone before getting married because I fell in love with them or having sex was the way that we had to show each other our love. I cheated on my spouse because my spouse didn't understand me or give me the attention I needed. I practice homosexuality or lesbianism because God made me the way that I am. I support everyone's lifestyle because that is what I understand love is. See how in one way or another people try to justify what they do wrong and try to make it seem right? What we need to understand is that sin is not relative. Sin is sin. And willfully disobeying God will have its consequences here or worse in eternity. If we look a little deeper at the passage we just read, Samuel explains that disobedience is just as bad as other things that we may find horrible. Samuel explained it like this, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity, idolatry. And right after this, Saul tried to explain himself by excusing his disobedience, by saying that he had feared the people and that's why he obeyed their voice. He feared the people. How can that be? He was king. How can he be afraid of the very people he exercised authority over? That sounds like a lame excuse, right? Now let's think about this even more. What did the people do for him? What are the people, especially if we compare them to the Lord? Did the people create the heavens and the earth? Did the people free themselves from the power of Egypt? Did the people make Saul king? Did the people give Saul all of the past miraculous victories he had experienced? No. The people were in no way, fashion or form even close to what God had done for Saul. And so, why do what people wanted and why fear them when he owed them nothing and they were far less powerful than almighty God? Therefore, was it a wise decision for Saul to betray the one that had given him everything and listen more to folks that were far inferior or did absolutely nothing for him? Let's bring that same level of thought to our own lives. Who created the heavens and the earth? Who has allowed for each of us to exist right now at this very instant? Who has given us all of the abilities we have? Who gives us the air to breathe and the ability for our hearts to beat at this very moment? Who allowed for his only begotten son to be nailed and killed on the cross so we could have the opportunity for forgiveness of sins and access to eternal life? And who has done all of these things without any kind of obligation? There can only be one answer, and that is the Lord. And so, why do we sometimes, or many times, make the decision to deliberately disobey the Lord and His Word? The Bible gives us clear indication that we need to look for the Lord and His Word, and that if we don't follow Him and do what He says, we will be destroyed. Obeying God is not for God's benefit. It's for our benefit. It's as simple as that. God doesn't gain anything by us obeying him. Us obeying him or disobeying him does not affect him at all. Hosea chapter four verse six to ten says this: "My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge, because you have rejected knowledge. I also will reject you from being priests for me, because you have forgotten the law of your God. I also will forget your children. The more they increase, the more they sinned against me. I will change their glory into shame." They eat up the sin of my people. They set their heart on their iniquity and it shall be like people, like priests. So I will punish them for their ways and reward them for their deeds. For they shall eat but not have enough. They shall commit harlotry but not increase because they have ceased obeying the Lord. When we reject his knowledge and we choose not to obey him, God may simply allow for natural consequences to happen. We need to remember that God created everything, and everything operates within the parameters he established. So in some way, he does punish people through the simple fact that they are not following the prescribed manner of doing things. Right and wrong will always have consequences, both here and now, and more importantly, in eternity. God actually went to great lengths through Jesus Christ, to change the most important consequence, which is the eternal consequence of sin. But even then, if we as supposed believers and followers of Christ, if we choose to reject his knowledge, his ways, we will still have consequences here and now and in the future if we don't repent. Let me put it to you this way as we aim to explain the concept of consequences. If you have an important appointment for work and you don't take the necessary steps to make sure you make that appointment on time and prepared, what do you think is going to happen? If you are having heart problems and instead of taking heart medication, you take something to settle your stomach, do you think that is going to help your heart? If you have gasoline powered vehicle and you choose to put water into the tank, how far do you think you're going to go? It's the same exact thing with the Lord and with his instructions, his commandments. His word is there to instruct us, to help us understand what we need to do so we can avoid unnecessary problems and challenges and negative consequences. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 5 to 10 says this, Thus says the Lord, Curses the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength whose heart departs from the Lord, for he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land which is not inhabited. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord, for he shall be like a tree planted by the waters which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought nor will cease from yielding fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked, who can know it? I, the Lord, I search the heart, I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. And so quite simply, if you choose to trust in yourself and or in other people rather than in the Lord and in what he says, you will just simply not have the ability to even know What is good or not good for you? And chances are because you are so out of focus that what you will choose to do are things that will only bring about your destruction. What may be very misleading is judging right and wrong by how things go in this world. That is the simple, most critical problem that many people face today when they think that everything is fine because they don't observe any negative impacts. Some so-called Christians feel that they're even being blessed through their wrong decisions, that if everything seems fine, it's because they must be doing something right. And that cannot be farther from the truth. And the worst thing that can happen is being on the wrong path without even knowing it and finding out in the end. That's why there will be many surprises before the throne of God. We cannot judge whether we're doing right or wrong by the way things go here on earth. Just because everything seems fine does not mean that things are right. In a similar manner, you may face more challenges by doing what is right before the Lord. As a matter of fact, the path of least resistance is doing what is wrong because that is what the world encourages. The devil will do everything he can to make you feel comfortable and fine while disobeying God. You might think you're being blessed, but quite the opposite may be happening if you are not following the ways of the lord that is all there is to it second corinthians chapter 5 verse 9 to 10 explains the following to us therefore we make it our aim whether present or absent to be well pleasing to him for we must all appear before the judgment seat of christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done whether good or bad and so it is quite clear that every single believer in Christ will give an account and will receive according to what they have done. Paul is writing this letter in particular, and he is using we throughout, which includes him. It says, we make it our aim. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Each one may receive the things done. And in the end of the passage, he mentions that a person will receive the things done in the body, whether good or bad. Some people misinterpret this passage to mean that when we get to heaven, that believers will just receive rewards, and that is not accurate. We will receive rewards if we do that which is right before the Lord, but the implication of good or bad in the passage helps us understand that we're not getting rewards for the bad we may have done. This whole concept that everyone gets a trophy for participating does not apply in heaven. We need to do that which is right before the Lord, especially if we say and believe we are in Christ. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 to 23 tells us this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my father in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. This is even scarier. How can a person prophesy or preach, cast out demons and even do wonders, yet not make it into God's eternity? Because it is not just about doing what seems to be right, but also having the proper intent. That is how precise we need to be in Christ. God wants for our intentions and our actions to be aligned, that if we do the right thing, we should do it for the right reasons. That's how much we need to be on point, on the mark. And so this whole concept that we don't have anything to worry about once we come to Christ, and that God forgives everything, that everything is fine no matter what you do, is totally and completely false. And whoever decides to follow things outside of God's true will shall be incredibly and horribly surprised when they find themselves rejected by God Himself, no matter how much they might cry out to Him and try to list all of the great things they did and how much they thought they were right. God will not be interested in our opinion on that day. He is not interested in our opinion right now. God is God, and no one can teach Him, no one can give Him great ideas. No one is smarter or better or knows more than the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's why for our own good, we need to seek him, learn from him, and try to understand what he is telling us through his word and through the enlightening of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the only one that will lead us to all truth and help us understand that truth. We can get even further clarification through Matthew chapter 22, verse 1-14, to 14, where it says this, And Jesus answered, and spoke to them again by parable, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son, and sent out the servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. Again he sent out other servants, saying, Tell those who were invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fatted calf are killed, and all things are ready, come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business. And the rest seized the servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious. And he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding is ready. But those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you may find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both good and bad. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on wedding garment. So he said to him, Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. And so through this passage, Jesus Christ explains to us that even though a person can make it to the wedding, which is in the spiritual sense, getting to heaven, if that person is not found worthy of being there, they will get tossed out. So you see, every single person will stand before the Lord and every single person will give an account for what they have done, both the unbeliever and the Christian and we will be judged by our actions. Christ is the way to salvation, and also remaining in Christ and doing the Father's will is the way that we will assure not only our entrance into eternal life, but also being able to receive the great rewards that the Lord has for those that love Him to form part of that heavenly wedding event. Let us look at another eye-opening passage. Mark chapter 9, verse 43-50 to 50 tells us this. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands, to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame rather than having two feet to be cast into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye, rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire, where the worm does not die, and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be seasoned with fire, and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves, and have peace with one another. There are things in your life that may become such stumbling blocks that they will not allow you to do what you should do and take you off the path towards eternity. Those things may definitely be a part of you. That's why we're given the metaphor of these things being like your foot, your, your hand, or your eye, things that you may even see as vital and essential to you. And as such, These may be things that affect you subtly. That's why we need to be so careful with what we do and what we follow and yield to. That's why it is a lie from Satan himself when people tell you that you can do whatever and that everything will be fine through God's love and grace and that you have absolutely nothing to worry about. The greatest lie of all is when they tell you that you just need to believe in God and that's it. No repentance, no change of life, and that God accepts you just as you are. We have plenty to bear in mind. That's why the Apostle Paul told us in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, the following, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. See how important obedience is? And that he tells us here to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. So our salvation is not a toy. We should not take it lightly by any stretch of the imagination. We should not take it for granted. Actually, quite the contrary. That is why we not only need to love the Lord, but also fear him. And biblical fear is a deep and reverent respect. Being aware that he, meaning God, is watching us and that he is keeping track this biblical fear is an incredible tool to us because this is how wisdom occurs in the life of a believer. And wisdom is the spiritual ability that allows us to learn those things which we should be doing before the Lord. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 tells us this, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so when we not only love the Lord, but we also fear him, then godly knowledge or wisdom can begin to occur in a believer. Why? When you fear the Lord, you become concerned about what he thinks about you. His view of you becomes the focus of your life. You will be focused on wanting to do what pleases him and looking to do those things. But if you take God lightly, if you don't take him seriously, if you treat the gift of salvation of something that is not important, what do you think you will wind up doing? Nothing good. I can guarantee you that. I would urge you to take inventory for a few minutes and look at the things in your life that are important to you and how you treat them. And then compare that to how you treat the Lord. That will be very telling on what or who is a priority of your life. If you do worry about the Lord or not, if he is important to you and if you truly value, like really, really value the gift of salvation received through Jesus Christ. And that true enlightenment in wanting to follow the Lord in desiring to please Him comes through the Holy Spirit and through the Word of God. Psalm chapter 1 tells us this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in His law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf Shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. And so it's quite clear that only those that delight and love and obey the Lord. And his word are the ones that will prosper spiritually. Otherwise, if you don't truly look for the Lord, for his will, you are plainly living as an ungodly person, as a person that lives their life like if God doesn't exist or matter because you don't take him seriously and you're not concerned with him. Faith in Jesus Christ is about being focused on doing the right thing for the right reason. Then and only then, is the way that you will feel compelled to obey the Lord, even to do those things that may not be attractive to you. If we just truly learn to appreciate everything that the Lord has done for us, we should have no problem in wanting to obey Him. It's as simple as that. When there is a life of disobedience to the Lord, like what happened in Saul's life, it is symptomatic to a lot of spiritual problems. There's a lack of faith, a lack of wanting to love the Lord, and a lack of fearing the Lord. When we live a life of disobedience, we just reflect that we don't value God in any kind of way. Saul was more concerned with doing what he wanted and with pleasing the wrong people, rather than just doing what God told him to do. And doing the right thing by obeying the Lord is not something that is meant to be robotic per se. It's not about just doing things for the sake of just doing them. God desires that we ultimately love Him, and true love implies respecting Him, honoring Him, which in turn would compel us to just look to do those things that please Him. The Bible teaches us that we need to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul and strength, basically with our whole being. And so obeying God through this love is not something mindless or even instinctive, but actually it is something completely mindful, deliberate with sound reasoning, being able to come to love and honor and respect the Lord and His Word because of all of the overwhelming reasons that we have to love and obey the Lord. Who gives you life? Who allows you to breathe and think at this very moment? Who has allowed for you to have everything good that you have in your life right now? And the most important thing to consider, who gave Himself as the only holy, perfect Sacrifice, so your sins could be forgiven, so you could have eternal life with great rewards to look forward to? Can anyone give you what God has already done so for you? No human being, which includes you, and not even Satan, can give you all of the things that only God can. And God has done so graciously. You can't save yourself. And so, if we owe God so much... Should not all of these reasons be more than enough to look to obey Him, when in the end obeying Him is only in our best interest? When we choose to obey the Lord, we're only helping ourselves. I would encourage you to avoid any and all negative consequences that come with disobeying God, both here and eternity, by looking to love Him, to follow Him, and to obey Him, because He alone is worthy. Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, blessing and honor and glory be to you. Lord, thank you for your goodness, for your mercy. Thank you, O Lord, for allowing us to exist. Most of all, thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, for the incredible sacrifice that you made through him. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I praise you and I worship you, O Lord. Heavenly Father, I pray, Heavenly Father, that you may help us to be sensitive to your will and to your ways. Help us, O Lord, to look to obey you, to just take in your word and just do it, to let your Holy Spirit work in our lives. Heavenly Father, help us to be fearful, to be careful, Lord God, to think about things before we actually go and do them. Heavenly Father, help us to be mindful that You are looking upon our lives. And help us, O Lord, to understand that we should look to just pleasing you. Heavenly Father, I give you thanks again for your love and grace. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The Latter Rain Ministries is a self-supporting Christian ministry dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and his truth with the world. The Lord is near. May God bless you.